0: Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new to IWP, We are not a think tank. We are an independent graduate school of national security and international affairs. Uh, And we offer uh, five master's degree programs, including the nation's first uh, master's in strategic intelligence outside the US government. Uh, We also offer a doctoral program, which is the first professional doctorate anywhere in the country We offer uh, 18 certificates of graduate study, and it is also possible to take a single course here without committing to an entire semester's worth of tuition. Um, It is uh, a great pleasure for me to introduce uh, a good friend and colleague in our business who has rendered great service to this country in many different capacities. Uh, Chris Hull uh, is, has had a, a uh, extraordinary experience working in the Congress uh, as a legislative assistant in the U.S. Senate, as a press secretary in the House, as a chief of staff for a member of Congress. Uh, he has worked in the White House. Uh, he has worked uh, on, on the presidential campaign. Uh, he has altogether some 25 years of experience in politics, public policy, and, and government relations. Uh, he, uh, his doctoral dissertation, uh, was voted by the American Political Science Association. Do I have that right? Is the best one in the nation? It was nominated. It was nominated. Okay, but that's that's still quite something to be amongst those uh, that are considered. Um, Chris has, uh, uh, is currently a senior fellow at the Americans for Intelligence Reform, he is also the president of Issue Management Incorporated, which is a boutique public affairs firm whose work centers on national security, uh, he has been a regular contributor to the Epoch Times, uh, and appears regularly on the Tipping Point with Liz Wheeler on the One America News Network. Uh, Dr. Hull uh, has done extraordinary research on a variety of national security subjects. Uh, He's been, he has had relationships with uh, different think tanks here in town, and I've been wanting him to come and lecture at IWP for quite a long time, and especially for him to come when I am in town so that I can hear what he has to say. So, Chris. The floor is yours, welcome, and thank you so much for all you do for our country. Thanks so much, John, I appreciate it. I'm now going to
0: perform the ritual lowering of the uh, microphone here, down to the five foot nine level. Thank you very much, John, and um, I'd like to say thank you to the Institute for World Politics, and thank you to uh, John Lachowski, who, in case you don't know, is the founder and president Uh, of IWP um, and he has done enormous things for this country in terms of keeping it safe as well by educating people in uh, not only what they need to know about world politics but how to understand world politics from a legitimate national security point of view, which I think is really, uh, it's a rare thing and I think it's very important, um, especially for people who plan to be practitioners and plan to help keep this nation and the Western world safe. So uh, I appreciate very much your being here uh, for this little talk, um, and I'd like to, uh, I'd actually like to extend a little uh, note of thanks to my wife, Valeria Kordich-Hull, who is here, uh, and my seven-year-old son, Thomas. That's yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, so you have to laugh at all of my jokes so that Thomas thinks that this is super funny and lots of fun. As you can see, it'll be super funny. But this looks like a very funny presentation. Uh, so. Anyway, thank you all for being here very much, um, and with that, let's get started. Uh, this is what I'm going to talk about. Um, for, I'm going to do. This is really a two-part lecture uh, on two things which we very much hope are completely separate. Although you'll see that there are question marks at the end of this. The first is about biased terror data, and I'm going to put this into context of going back into 2009 and understanding. Uh, the idea that there's no religious rationale for terrorism, the idea that terrorism is actually man-caused disasters, and then the terror database that was created around that time, and I'll go through um, a number of examples of places where I believe that this terror, uh, terror database is biased, uh, and it appears to me that it is systematically and potentially deliberately biased. Um, and you'll make up your own mind, I'll give you the evidence and the fact, and you'll decide. Then I'm going to talk about Gulf, Street, uh, Gulf State cash, specifically flowing to academic organizations. This biased terror data comes out of, uh, out of an academic uh, collaboration across multiple uh, schools, and we won't talk about any schools in particular here. Um, uh, the project will stand on its own. The same is true of Gulf State cash. So it is a generalized problem that there is a great deal of foreign money flowing into U.S. academic institutions, Uh, One that is increasingly recognized in the United States. It was not recognized, even though it was highlighted for many years. It's being increasingly recognized and acted upon, which is encouraging, but more needs to be done as soon as humanly possible. And I'll go through the facts there, to the extent that we know them. Um, And at the end, I'm going to try to talk about uh, what we should do in order to preserve the national security of the United States. Um, and speculate a little bit about at the very end uh, about what we need to do with respect to, generally speaking, our relationship between the government and uh, and academics. So, uh, with with no further ado, let's talk about um, about this. This is an important. I don't want to undersell this. This is an important debate which has taken place over the course of. The last since really at least since 9 eleven and definitely before then, although I don't think that most Americans were really paying much attention before 911. So uh, famously, uh, Barack Obama, the President Barack Obama and as a candidate, refused to use the term Islamic terrorism. Um, and this was something that was it became a campaign issue, it was something that people really noticed. It was a major issue not only in two thousand eight and 2012 when he was running, it was really an issue in Uh, 2016 especially, when he wasn't even running anymore, he was still being asked this question because other candidates, especially on the other side of the aisle, um, uh, were raising this as as an important issue, right? And and the case that he made is a thoughtful and important one, and the the case was that there is no religious rationale for terrorism, that you can't justify the things that are being done by Islamic State and by Al-Qaeda in terms of a religious doctrine that can't be possible, and therefore, and he named off some things, you know, torturing children and killing uh, fellow Muslims in the case of those who are Islamic. Um, He said that couldn't be justified, and therefore, um, he didn't want to lend it the patina of, um, the patina of uh, legitimacy by calling it Islamic terrorism. You know, that that was something that was important to him. The counter argument that has been made is that if one studies the religious doctrines in Islam, specifically in Sharia, one can actually locate a lot of these activities that have taken place, maybe not all, in fact, probably not all, Uh, but so many of them that you would lose this fight with an Islamic scholar, right? This, This fight puts us on, you know, if you had an Islamic scholar who didn't care one way or the other which way this ended up, you would almost certainly lose this debate if you were Barack Obama and you were, you know, you were sort of putting this before an expert. Now, regardless, um, there was his, uh, Barack Obama's cabinet secretary devoted to these things, this is Janet Napolitano, she was the Homeland, uh, Homeland Security Secretary for Barack Obama, went a little step farther and wouldn't use the word terrorism. She literally didn't use the word terrorism when she was appearing before Congress um, for consideration of her nomination. And she used instead the term man-caused disasters. Now, when she was pressed on this afterwards, the question was raised by media folks, uh, actually, why did you you refer to this as man-caused disaster? She said, and I quote, that preferring the term man-caused disaster uh, shows, quote, we want to move away from the politics of fear toward a politics of being prepared for all risks that can occur. Um, question is whether that is necessarily preparing us for all risks, which brings us to Tevis. Um, has anybody heard this expression, lies, damn lies, and statistics? Anybody? All right, lies, damn lies, and statistics. So I call this section of the talk lies, damn lies, and Tevis. And you are going to see why. Because Tevis uh, has been used systematically, both by scholars who work on it and by outside experts to justify the argument that what is most uh, most a threat in the United States is white supremacist uh, white supremacist terrorism, which by the way is a threat. white supremacist terrorism is a threat in the United States it, uh, you know there are people who are being killed by white supremacists in the United States. it is an important thing to keep track of it's an important thing to crack down on and let there be no two ways about that but on a per capita basis are individuals who are you know, white Anglo-Saxon males more of a threat, the implication coming out of the database assembled by the, this various practitioners, it's actually a combination of four databases, was yes, that that's really where you need to look in terms of, uh, of what you need to be afraid of. Well, um, this database was actually assembled starting in March of 2009 with federal funding from the Obama administration, and so this line of attack which has gone on then since um, uh, at these uh, these centers is really one that promoted the other point of view, the point of view that Barack Obama and Janet Napolitano had. Um, And if it were a fair and balanced database, that would be fine, right? If that were true, it would be an important fact and God bless us, maybe we were spending a trillion dollars on national defense and on Homeland Security in pokes on the wrong things. Maybe that was true, but let's see. So let's go on a case-by-case basis. First of all, let me give you a set of examples. The 2012 Occupy Cleveland, I did, bet you didn't know that Occupy Cleveland existed, but Occupy Cleveland was a thing, um, and they tried to bomb a bridge. So this uh, good-looking gentleman uh, was the head of a group of five individuals who were arrested on April thirtieth two thousand twelve with what turned out to be thank God fake explosives that were strapped to a bridge and they triggered them uh they went miles away and triggered them of course um, but they triggered they they tried they thought they were blowing up a bridge uh, outside of Cleveland They were arrested. Um, According to the FBI, the leader of the group recruited the others from the Occupy Cleveland Movement. So it wasn't just one member, they were self-described anarchists who were from the Occupy Cleveland Movement. Um, One of the defendants was in evaluation uh, for mental illness. I don't know that he ever came out of that evaluation. He might still be uh, incarcerated in uh, something for the criminally insane. But as far as I know, his case was never resolved one way or the other. A second of them pled uh, pled guilty in July uh, to various charges. And finally, um, on November 20th, the final three were sentenced to prison for this attack. Um, And specifically, they pled guilty to, and I quote, conspiracy to use weapons of mass destruction, attempted use of weapons of mass destruction, and malicious use of an explosive device to destroy property used in interstate commerce, and the Department of Justice uh, requested and received terrorist enhancement. Uh, Not as much as they wanted, but terrorist enhancement of these crimes. Does this sound to you like terrorism and extremist violence? Well, according to Tevis, it wasn't. This never happened, according to Tevis. These five individuals are not present. This event never happened. Occupy Cleveland is not in the database at all, as though it never took place. This is what the FBI had to say <clears throat> about this crime, in a calculated fashion, these three defendants—these are the final three—identified a viable target, purchased what they believed to be military-grade explosives, and attached these explosives to that target, all in the hopes of furthering their ideological views. But Tebus does not appear, does not uh, appear to include anything with respect to this, as though it never took place. Second. And by the way, I've got a paper that's coming out on all of this, and my PowerPoint actually has all the little citations. So in case you want to peruse this, it's, going to be, it's very easy to actually look at the source materials. Second, let's look at uh, something the same year the Family Research Council shooting, which happened just after this, uh, soon after this. Actually, it was August, so the other one was whatever that was, April. So in August, uh, on August 15th of 2012, this gentleman, Floyd Lee, uh, Flo- Floyd Lee Corkins II, with a nine millimeter pistol, and two magazines and 50 rounds of ammunition entered the lobby of the Family Research Council, which is a Christian organization that advocates for pro-family policies. Um, He shot an unarmed security guard, whose name was Leonardo Johnson, in the left arm, and Johnson still overpowered him, which is pretty tough. Um, His response to why he did this was, And I quote, Southern Poverty Law lists anti-gay groups. I found them online, unquote. He had a backpack full of Chick-fil-A sandwiches. This is quite amusing, of course. He wanted to kill everyone there and stuff the sandwiches in their mouths after they were dead. So this gentleman um, uh, was not not necessarily a nice guy. Now, in Tevis. All of the events leading up to the shooting, including the purchase of the Chick-fil-A sandwiches, are labeled as left-wing, except for the shooting. The event itself does not label the incident as being associated with the far left at all. So, how did that happen? How did they label every prior event leading up to the shooting and not the shooting as far left? In my judgment, the only way that that's possible really, realistically speaking, is that it was deliberately taken out so that the shooting would fall off the list of far-left attacks. In addition, let's go to the next one. Um, So, this is a gentleman um, named Ismail Abdullah Brinsley. So, on December 7th, 2014, it was reported that the Black Guerrilla family, which is a Marxist, Maoist, Leninist prison gang founded in 1966 by George L. Jackson, who's a, a former Black Panther, had, and I quote, declared open season on the NYPD, that is the New York Police Department. This is three days after a Staten Island grand jury decided not to indict the officer who was responsible for Eric Garner's death. And some of you may remember that. It was a very controversial takedown uh, of an individual who was detained. And the detaining, uh, it turned out that he had had asthma or a heart condition or both. And he did die um, because of the way that he was detained. And there was a lot of upset about this. So this prison gang, Maoist prison gang, declared war on the NYPD. Open season, I should say. And two weeks later, on December 20th, this gentleman... Brinsley ambushed, shot and killed New York police uh, officers before killing himself. he also shot his girlfriend before he left his uh, before he left his uh, apartment uh, and he uh, he tweeted that he wanted to he stated online that he wanted to quote unquote kill pigs, um, and the police believed that Brinsley was a member of the Black Beria family. he was a former uh, former inmate and they believed him to be part of this um, uh, part of this vendetta. Now Ismail appears to be a variant of Ismail, uh, so ISMIAL, which is a name of Islamic origin. Of course that's related to Ishmael, who's Abraham's son, right in the Old Testament. Um, it, is, it also is referred to as the father of the Arab nations. Uh, Abdullah is also is, is also uh, an Islamic name. It's the name of Muhammad's father. Um, It's also of Arabic origin. It means God's servant. Um, So, with this information, Tebas categorized this assault as a single-issue assault. That is, I guess the single issue is kill pigs. So, if you believe that, fair enough. My own personal thought here is given that the police believe that this guy was a member of a Maoist prison gang, which was a black supremacist prison gang. One should probably expect that either black supremacism or uh, far left ideology, or frankly, Islam would be at least mentioned. It is not in the database. Next, the 2016 Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, and I should call this a massacre. This was the worst, the worst uh, shooting um, terrorist attack in the United States um, in history until uh, Las Vegas. So there were 49 deaths that night. A 50th individual died. Uh, so there were 50 deaths associated with this. Las Vegas is the only one, the only shooting in American history which has had more. And it was 58. So this is, I think, still second ranked in American history in terms of uh, mass shootings. This um, uh, this is uh, Omar Mir Sadiq Mateen the son of an Afghan politician, who ran uh, as a supporter of the Taliban. He, uh, <clears throat> he actually called and told police what his motive was. He said, I am doing this as a servant of Allah. I am doing this for ISIS. I'm doing this because uh, the US is fighting is, uh, uh, Islam over in the Middle East fighting ISIS. It is my duty um, to do this. So that's all lovely. But Tevis includes this shooting as two events. An armed assault, true, and a hostage-taking or barricade incident, true, not as a homicide. So, 50 people died, and they don't classify it as a homicide event. And by the way, there are lots of homicides in this database. It's not like it never went to... They never used homicide, they used it all the time, but for some reason, they didn't use it, not only did they not use it, right, 50 times, they didn't use it once. So, in addition to that, Tibas has Mateen classified, in terms of his race, as white slash Caucasian non-Hispanic. Um, he was the son of two Afghans. Now, you can actually make an argument, technically, that Afghanistan is right outside of the uh, the group of Arab nations. Right, the 22 nations that make up what we think of as the as the group of Arab nations does not include Afghanistan. However, there are Arabs who live, of course, in Afghanistan. My bet is that his father, who was uh, <clears throat> who was pro uh, pro Taliban, was in fact. But regardless. I would say that that is misleading because those, that means that those 50 deaths are classified as being, having, having been committed by a white Caucasian, not Hispanic, in spite of the fact that this was an Islamic attack. Now, in addition to that, Znur Zahi Salman, who is Omar Mateen's wife, she was indicted, tried and found not guilty, fair enough, okay, not guilty for obstruction and providing material support to a terrorist organization and then disappeared. Uh, But she is listed in TIPIS as being white, Caucasian, non-Hispanic, and both of her parents were Palestinian. Now, if you're Palestinian, you are within the Arab orbit. She is not white, Caucasian, non-I mean, she's not Hispanic, I'll grant you that. But that's not true. That is a straight-out falsehood. And so, again, you have a link, uh, a link to one of these shootings, and they have accidentally or deliberately they have frankly, falsified at least one of these two races. Um, The next would be the Dallas Black Lives Matter shooting. So, as some of you may remember, on July 7th, 2016, there was a Black Lives Matter protest in Dallas and a sniper named Michael Xavier Johnson murdered six police officers and injured seven more in addition to two civilians before he was finally uh, taken out. Johnson, uh, who for the record was black, is known to have attempted to join Black Lives Matter as well as black power organizations including Nation of Islam and the New Black Panther Party, but he was rejected from joining them to their credit due to his criminal record involving sexual assault. I did not realize that they were so picky, but they are. Um, Regardless, Johnson was one of a handful of members of what is called the African American Defense League, which sounds frankly pretty harmless except AADL, it was founded in 2014, it was dedicated to self-defense, black nationalism for black people. Again, not leaving much to the imagination. Less to the imagination after this shooting. In fact, suspiciously close to this shooting when there was something posted on their Facebook page, quote, we have no alternative, we must kill white police officers across the country, unquote. Okay. Uh, AADL was allegedly founded by Malik, Zulu Shabazz, the former head of the New Black Panther Party, which is, according to the SPLC, right, Southern Poverty Law Center, which is, I, argue, I would argue, on the left and the source of some of these materials, even they say that, that, that this guy was a, quote, racist black nationalist with a well-documented history of anti-Semitic remarks. Bad guy. Right? Tevis, defensively, doesn't associate this shooting with Black Lives Matter. now. Black Lives Matter was associated with. Uh, there were 11 individuals who were supporters of Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry, individuals associated with Black Lives Matter killed uh, 11. Um, they killed at least 11 police uh, over the course of about nine months in this period. However, he Black Lives Matter didn't Black Lives Matter didn't let him in. So. That's legit, right? It's out of Black Lives Matter shooting, but uh, fair enough. Here's the, here's the problem. Uh, Michael Xavier Johnson does not appear in this database. Now, Tevis says that the people who appear or named in the database are those who are one of three things. They are um, convicted. they are, They are... I don't know about indicted. I think that indicted actually may not be enough. If they were, if they were, if they were indicted but not convicted, I don't think that they go into the database. But I think if they were indicted and they have not yet been exonerated, they actually go into the database. Or killed. He's dead, so he should be in there, and he's not. And it raises the question: Why? Um, <clears throat> I do not know the answer to that question. So the Baton Rouge police ambush, just in case you think I'm making all of this up, right? So, um, the day after the Dallas shooting, on July 8th, 2016, a Louisiana man named Gavin Eugene Long tweeted, the shooter was not white, he was one of us, hashtag my religion is justice, with a picture of Johnson holding up a fist in a Black Power salute. This is a bad sign. Two days later, Long posted a video on his YouTube channel, which is decorated with humorous photos of frightened white men um, discussing how in revolutions where victims were fighting their oppressors, victory and justice was attained only through bloodshed and violence. His final tweet on July 17, 2016 in the middle of the night was, just because you wake up every morning doesn't mean you're living and just because you shed your physical body doesn't mean that you're dead. That's arguable. But in any case, at 8.40 a.m. that morning, he showed up looking like this, um, and he ambushed a set of police officers. He killed three. He wounded three more before he was finally taken out by a SWAT team that had to come out to save uh, the lives of the the remaining officers. After the shooting, police found a printout in Arabic with a translation into English of a section of Hadith 318. This is an Islamic... Uh, teaching, it reads in part, if somebody recites it during the day, with firm faith in it, and dies on that same day, then the second half of my quote will appear before me magically. Or not. Okay. (laughs) These apparently are out of order. So, you're just going to have to wait to find out what, ah, before the evening he will be from the people of paradise. In a video he left behind, he acknowledged he was a member of the Black Power Organization Nation of Islam, although he said in the video that he wanted to distance himself himself from the organization, that they should not be associated with the shooting, that could be to protect the organization, but fair enough. Um, But the definitive report also said that he had submitted paperwork to change his name to something unpronounceable, and it was paperwork printed out from the Washita Nation, which is a Black Power organization which is known to be a supremacist organization. Um, Multiple uh, experts testify that this individual was, in fact, a black supremacist, and that is not reflected in Tevis because Gavin Eugene Long is not in the database at all. He was killed in the shooting. He's dead. Doesn't qualify for some reason. I don't know why. I think I do know why, but in case we think that these are exceptions, the research done by my research assistants, so the preliminary, is that 41% of the list that's, uh, that is compiled on the Religion of Peace, which is a website that tracks Islamic attacks, I recognize that, that is a bad joke, but they, they track them around the world and in the United States. Only 41% of the killings associated with, or the cases associated with religion, religion of peace, are actually present in the Tevis database. Uh, so that's so it's 24 cases out of 49, about 40%. Um, religion of peace is not mainstream media, though, right? Let's just say, let's just stipulate that's not mainstream, and one could argue that there may be things in there which not actually constitute technically terrorism and extremist violence. They might be mercy killings associated with uh, Sharia law, something like that. So, let's look at the Department of Justice. It's missing 85% of the cases that the Department of Justice released saying that they were convictions associated with Islamic terrorism. Only the convictions. They're missing 85% of those over this, uh, over this period of time. It's between 9-11 and the end of 2014. So, TIVIS contains only 89 of them, 15% of that list. It gets worse. Of the missing name labels, that is, uh, of names that are missing ideological labels in the database, 94% of the perpetrators uh, were responsible for an act of Islamic terror. That seems like a pretty remarkable coincidence. Unless, of course, Islamic terrorism is overwhelmingly the biggest problem facing the United States, but of course, those who use TVS tend to argue the opposite. Regardless, doesn't matter to that, it's missing 96% of the Department of Justice terror ideologies, uh, that is, of the DOJ cases where, um, uh, where the cases were actually laid out by the Department of Justice, 96% of them are lacking ideologies, and that's pretty darn suspicious. That's pretty darn suspicious. So, I do not know who was responsible for putting the data in. I do not know who all the people are who worked on this. I have no aspersions to cast at any particular university or any particular scholar. That's a problem. And this appears to me to be biased terror data at least, and potentially, in fact, likely by my lights, deliberately biased terrorism data. And it's an important database that got funding, one of the component parts got three million dollars from the Trump administration. They lost some funding from their, from the Trump State Department and then they got three million dollars to help make up the hole from the Department of Defense. Uh, that could be problematic. That's part one. That's the fun part, just kidding. Uh, so, now we're gonna talk about Gulf State cash, about money that flows from Gulf States um, into United States academic institutions, some of which helped put this database together. So since at least since 9-11, um, three of these countries, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and the, and the United Arab Emirates, have pumped billions of dollars into U.S. academic institutions. In fact, right now, they are doing so at a rate that is more than a billion dollars a year. Um, <clears throat> this was actually noticed a long time ago. In 2004, a book was written uh, called The Stealth Curriculum, Manipulating America's History Teachers. It was based, it was by a woman by the name of Sandra Stotsky uh, Stotsky, and she saw the way US federal government funds were being used to put on um, events uh, actually under the auspices of Harvard Center for Middle East Studies um, that was supposed to be for a a national resource center and in fact, Um, She alleges in this study that it virtually promoted Islam as a religion while sharply criticizing alleged American prejudice against the Muslim world. They encouraged K-12 teachers to quote, design celebratory treatments of life and teachings of Muhammad and the revelations spread of Islam with exercises calling on students to appoint imams, memorize Islamic principles, and act out prayer at a mosque. Based on this experience, um, this 1st experience, she wrote this and raised questions about whether these Title VI grants, which go to Middle East studies for national security, to help educate American students in national security, whether they should be going to this sort of activity. Um, She said, she found that after 9-11, the Saudi government sent U.S. schools thousands of packages of educational material that, for example, attributed the Middle East problems to Western colonization. That is... Again, problem Next, the next year, there was a four-part series called Tainted Teachings that was run in the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, JTA, and what they found is that first, Saudi Arabia is paying to influence the teaching of American public school children. Second, US taxpayer is actually a quote, unwitting accomplice. Third, the materials praise and sometimes promote Islam but criticize Judaism and Christianity. Fourth, they suggest that the Quran, and I quote, synthesizes and perfects earlier revelations, meaning that those ascribed to the Christians and the Jews. Fifth, ironically, what gives credibility to these distorted materials is Title VI of the Higher Education Act. And finally, quote, believing they're importing the wisdom of places like Harvard or Georgia, sorry, I'm naming names, I shouldn't. They are actually inviting into their schools whole curricula and syllabi developed with the support of Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia. Problematic. Now, for 13 years, nothing was done about this. So this is, you know, three years after 9-11, four years after 9-11, people were really, were really concerned about this. And then suddenly, they just weren't as concerned, and so it just kept happening at a geometrically increasing rate. So finally, in 2018, Daily Caller checked. And the numbers were really pretty astronomical. So just Qatar, which is the source of arguably most of the funds that support Hamas from the world, Qatar gave a billion dollars itself just since 2011. One country, just since 2011. From uh, 2011 to 2016, the Qatar Foundation has awarded a single school, contracts more than worth more than $225 million. One school. Uh, <clears throat> it's climbing quickly from 2014 to 2017, that school received $265 million. So the amount is actually increasing, again, increasing geometrically. This appears to be a problem. And this is not just Qatar, it's actually a whole series of uh, countries, including Saudi Arabia. The number one country that gives um, uh, funds, number one <coughs> amount given to U.S. universities by a country, number one country, Qatar, and number two, Britain, and number three, Saudi Arabia. That could theoretically be a problem. In 2019, the Trump administration, uh, having looked into this, began a serious investigation into foreign money into uh, U.S. colleges. Uh, The Department of Education said that they, (laughs) amid concerns they have not fully reported their foreign gifts and contracts to the federal government, focused on Saudi Arabia and Qatar among others. They asked for a bunch of documents. Um, They specifically asked for documents to say, hey, are you guys checking to see whether this stuff actually complies with the law on terrorism? Because if you're taking money that's connected to terrorism, this is foreign support of terrorism, you're actually breaking federal law, criminal statutes. And we have the preliminary report. Preliminary report. Uh, in February, on February 12th of this year, found they found six billion dollars of unidentified, unreported money. So, in addition to the money that they were that they were publicly taking from these countries, they found six billion dollars more. Now, this has to do with China, but a professor from one of these ordinate, from one of these institutions was indicted on charges that he was lying to the uh, to the federal government with respect to the funds he was taking from one of these hostile countries. So, this has actually come home to roost. It's a, it's a very high profile institution, and people are beginning to risk prison over this. Um, <clears throat> that, uh, they also announced that there was an expansion into Ivy League universities, I won't name So, in, just in terms of uh, an attempt to address this, another attempt, I guess, um, so what, the department of education said was you know we're getting materials back from these universities but they are giving us the materials that are required by federal law and the federal law doesn't say what they're doing with the money it doesn't require them to tell what they're doing with the money and that's a serious problem for those who've done research in this space it becomes very difficult when you've got these giant institutions taking giant amount, ba- amounts of money it becomes very difficult to track down what specifically they did with that money and so Thus, this is the first of several bills that we, one hopes will come out about this. Um, <clears throat> it's a set of senators who are introducing measures to require additional transparency, although this law was being flouted in the first place, uh, requiring additional transparency, and I am told by reliable sources that a bipartisan bill, this is partisan, a bipartisan bill is in the works uh, by the two chairs of the relevant committee which is actually going to, as this does not, drill down into what activities did this fund. Specifically, one question would be, did this fund the United States terror database that was being funded at the same time by the Obama administration, and now the Trump administration, isn't enough? So, that's it. The question is what is to be done about this? And here's what I would argue. First, I think that we need to tell the truth. The truth is not pretty in some cases, but we can't uh, can't allow political correctness to dictate the national security policy of the United States. And I believe that there is an impact of politically correct uh, motivations that is causing the warping of this particular terror database, financed by the United States and hopefully not cut down. Second, more specifically, I think that we need to reform and or defund Tibus as an organization, as a, as a specific entity. I think for, if, it, if it's to be reformed, fine, right? Let's update it. Let's put in all of the things that actually should be included in it, and then let's see what the numbers show. My sense is that they're going to show something pretty dramatic, and my hope is that by the time that I finish this particular research paper, I'll be actually able to say, here's the number, and show that change in numbers when you actually make these adjustments. We'll see whether that's possible or not. But if not, at least defund the thing, right? At least stop giving US taxpayer money to something that is lying to the American people, arguably, about what's actually going on in the United States in terms of who is in danger, uh, who is a danger with respect to terrorism and extremist violence. And secondly, let's focus resources on fact-based programs. I think it's, it's undeniable, it'd be a good idea for us not to be spending taxpayer money on things that make us feel better, right? By skewing what the truth is. So let's focus resources on long-term proven uh, folks. There are three other centers of excellence uh, that are associated with the Department of Homeland Security about which I have no complaints. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but let's give the money to them. If we have to give people money to track terrorism, let's give it to people who have done so with with, with a legitimate track record where they're, Fair, at least, a bit accurate. Secondly, with respect to Gulf state cash. I mean, one, I think that we should pass the foreign influence transparency Act. that I can say that in a 501 educational institution. I think so. But this, this entity does not necessarily say so. Secondly, I think that we should pass, if this, if there is, in fact, a bipartisan bill, and I think that there's going to be, because there's actually bipartisan concern, uh, especially about China. So I think that China is actually going to drive this debate. Um, and I think that's healthy because China's doing a lot of this and it's gonna catch up some of the Gulf state terrorism which might actually become a partisan issue uh, for reasons I don't think are legitimate but are just reality, right? I think China, you know, I think people on both sides of the aisle are actually concerned enough about China that they might uh, drill down into these activities and they can't just single out only China. So we're gonna catch some of this bad stuff that's going on. Finally, we really need to consider whether we should be restricting or banning funds from hostile nations. I mean. You know, in the Second World War, we wouldn't have allowed Germany or Japan to fund you know, the equivalent of Confucius Institutes, right? Which, were, which are the things China's setting up in the United States where they're monitoring individuals. They're not just you know, teaching Chinese or promoting their point of view. They're actually monitoring the students from that country. That's a real problem. And my, my real concern is that something like that is going on in Middle East Studies programs across the country. I believe that it is. I believe that it is. Um, so, we really need to, you know, whether there's transparency or not, we shouldn't be allowing funds that are flowing from countries which are simultaneously financing terrorism against the United States and its allies to be giving money to US uh, institutions to hire individuals who agree with those terrorists. And that's what's really happening here. Um, the final thing is that I've, I've said this in a very vague way. We need to recapture academia and government. And this is what I mean by this. right now, I think that the American university system, writ large, is too politically correct. I make that. I think that that is a daring statement, but I would tend to make that statement. I think that there is a toxic cocktail of Marx and Mao and Marcuse and Muhammad that is being force-fed to American students, and I think that's wrong, and I think that it should be stopped. I do not believe that American taxpayers should be financing such a thing regardless of whether the money is coming from the US taxpayer or whether the money is coming from, uh, is coming from Gulf states, we should not have that happening in. US educational institutions and it is on an increasingly profound level. Unfortunately, we have some of these same influences inside the United States government. certainly the United States government has become a partisan institution. the, f- the federal government now, if you look at the breakdowns of contributions, political contributions uh, that are taking place out of the various agencies, what you find is overwhelming majorities for one party. It's not necessarily a problem, except when those entities are acting in partisan ways, which one side would argue that they are. Um, and my sense is that the United States State Department should not have 95% of the contributions in the 26th cycle going to one side of the aisle. You do this for an understandable reason that one of you know, there's a former Secretary of State who's running the Democratic administration, 95% is too high. 75% plus under the Trump administration for the Department of Justice is too high. That's a sign, that's really frightening, right? When it's supposed to be full of a bunch of political hacks on the right and it's still 75% that's going to the other party. There's something wrong in that organization because all of the political hacks are not counterbalancing what's happening inside the rest of the bureaucracy. Just from what we can see, that's not including all the individuals who aren't contributing anything because they don't want to be found out for what their political operation, their political ideology is. So there's at least a partisan tilt and I've written a piece about the infiltration that's taken place, there's there's a a half dozen at least, I think a dozen examples of infiltration of the US federal government by actual Islamist forces You can look it up and see it on American Spectator if you'd like to go through them one by one and click on the links. But that's happening, right? That's happening and it should stop. We're finding people from China um, that are in our institutions that are being indicted and being frog-marched out and unfortunately, we have had the same thing happen with respect to Gulf states and with respect to terrorism. It shouldn't be happening and we need a better grip. Uh, The Americans who care about national security, Republicans and Democrats, need a better grip on both academics. and I think we're seeing this right now in the presidential race. I don't want to get too political, but in the presidential race you see mainstream Democrats very concerned about what's happening. It is absolutely predictable that what is going on in this presidential race would take place if you have an educational infrastructure that is financing uh, extreme views, uh, that is teaching extreme views. That would be very understandable. The same thing is true uh, in the U.S. government. We at least need to have non-partisan, um, non-political intelligence services that are acting in a way which is above reproach. So, with that, I appreciate very much your attention and I'm happy to take any questions that you have. may have. Thank you so much. Questions, yes ma'am.
2: and ask why do we even allow foreign funds to fund anything that's public education?
0: Well, one could imagine uh, a really happy scenario. Uh, imagine that the, um, that the United Kingdom wants to give money to the US to, stut- to uh, create a center for the you know, transatlantic studies where the U.S. puts in half, and the U.K. puts in half, and they agree on what it's going to be for, and then we fund, we help fund an institution there, they help fund an education institution here, they have academic exchanges, students go back and forth, we learn about those countries, trawley, everything is happening, right? You could even imagine that money coming from China or Qatar would be okay if they were financing an engineering school, and it was petroengineering. There's a lot of there's a lot of that right a lot of this money's is pardon me, going to petro engineering which is you know that, that you could argue that that's okay that's not such a big problem the the challenge arises when you can't tell what the money's going to and so that's got to get solved first and it's pretty clear that the middle east studies programs across the country you know that it there the amount of research on how horrifying these places are in terms of the things that people say, the anti-Semitism there, the uh, support for radicalism there. I personally have tracked down some of this money, a little bit, and the two places where I found it had not just radical radical Islamist literature, but it was radical Marxist Islamist literature, right? It was radical left uh, stuff, you know, anti-colonial stuff that you would expect from, you know, supporters of the far left who are now who now may nominate somebody for the Democratic nomination. Again, not to be too political, but I'm going to. So I do think that there is a role for foreign money, and I think that the United States would insist it was a good idea for us to take money and to support foreign educational institutions that wanted to support democracy, or representative republics, the principles of of, uh, rule of law, freedom of speech. Democracy is is one of those terms that the founding fathers hated and feared. Regardless, some idea of uh, pluralism and the rule of law and constitutionality, you know, that would be to our benefit to help nurture that overseas. So I think that there is a role for foreign resources. I just think that there is some chunk here which is terrifying. Yes. Uh, Do you want to follow up, ma'am? You wanted to?
2: Well, if you don't mind, I I think what I would call that, even with us doing that overseas, is special operations and propaganda. I mean, basically saying this is the, what we believe. I mean, uh, you know, this is certainly republicanism um, is the best thing for me by all means, but it is not what anybody else, or what other people may want within their countries. So I mean, just keeping that in mind that that's what we're doing. We are, we are, you know, putting our propaganda in other people's countries, and, and they're doing that to us. I mean, reality has to come in at some point, right, and say. This is what's happening. It's the same thing with the money, the foreign money coming into the mosques. I mean, if we wouldn't permit foreign money to come into any religious institution in the United States, we would see just a collapse in a good deal of
0: things. Yes, so yes, and and uh, media institutions like Al Jazeera. Absolutely true. Yeah. Absolutely right. Uh, I know. So I agree with I agree with uh, half of what you said. The part that I bicker with is the first part. Uh, so, if it is propaganda or special operations, I say I'm for it because, um, you know, I think at some point we need to recognize that the United States is the greatest country on the face of the planet by, uh, by a, a very large number of measures and that the reason that it is uh, is because of its ideas and therefore the spread of those ideas is positive, not just for us, but for the rest of the world. So. I don't think I don't think we should be neutral about this. I think we should say the ideas that the that the American people embraced and you know with the founding fathers uh, are worthy of being spread. The ideas that are being uh, that are being spread by not only the Islamists but frankly the you know the radical left and the radical right. It's just the radical right isn't being spread on campus almost at all. It's certainly not by professors. Um, and, uh, by the way, I've, I've done a paper on the ideology of college professors. It's not, right? There isn't none. There is absolutely no far-right activity. And it's now just, you know, it's, it's been a geometric curve since 1992, um, in terms of the percentage, uh, the percentage of individuals in academics who self-identify as on the left, right? That's I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but it's, it's true, and I've actually documented it. Um, but being, you know, if it's, if it's liberals, I don't think that's a problem. You know, if Alan Dershowitz is teaching people, I want to take a class from Alan Dershowitz. The guy is incredibly smart. It's not, it's not liberals, those who disagree on public policy issues. It's leftists, people who disagree with the Constitution. They disagree with freedom of speech. They want to shut people down. They want to actually, you know, there was a, uh, so there is a database that was just released. I saw it in my, in my email this morning by Pippa Norris of Harvard. Um, and uh, one of the books that Pippa Norris has recently written, recently, that she is famous for having written, is one that found that like 43% of Americans say, we should have a, this is before Trump, this is 2012-ish, we should have a strong leader who doesn't have to bother with Congress and the media, Congress and elections. That's scary, right? And so she, she's saying this is the authoritarian, mindset its growing around the world, she's looking at it around the world. The problem with that is that she didn't break it down by left and right. And I've seen when they do, the problem, there is a problem on the right, there's no question about it, and we need to address it. The problem is 100 times the size on the, on the left. It's really frightening, it's a giant segment of, uh, a giant segment, at least within academics, it actually, it's increasingly within, young, within the uh, young people, although it has peaked, and it's actually coming back down after millenniums. Millenniums might have been peak left. And when I said I should say peak leftist. Anyway, but thank you for your thought. And, and sir, I'm sorry for the delay. Do you have a? Yeah, thank you. you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a stretch for me to believe that the database is inadequate.
3: Yeah. Um, but the case as laid out doesn't prove to me that white nationalism isn't, isn't the problem. Uh, because the way the data was presented, we can't conclude that. And all we need is three figures for you to figure out the truth. Mm-hmm. What's the total number in the database? What's the total number of, of white national incidents? What's the number of the things that you think are missing? And mm-hmm. That will tell us whether this is enough to move the data. And the yeah. second thing, one other thing is that, mm-hmm. I'm just surprised, I understand why Obama's the easy, you know, it's easy to kick Obama for this, but the FBI dilling the data has been going on long before Obama. Mm-hmm. Particularly when it concerns- The, the, the what data? Dilling the data, the terrorism. No. <laughs> okay. This is a long problem, yeah. particularly against Jewish 2002, the LAX LL shooting was mischaracterized, as was the Washington State 2006 incident, and I'm sure I look back and find much more. So, this isn't an Obama thing. This is much deeper than that.
0: You, uh, you make two fair points. Um, so, I don't have the numbers that you're talking about, but I am compiling them. Um, and, um, my, you know, the point that I was trying to make so far, the point that I think that I'm uh, able to make so far, is that they are. That, that um, they are leaving out substantial amounts of information, which is which appears to be systematic, right? Um, but your point is well taken that that doesn't say that white supremacism isn't a problem because I don't believe white supremacy right, white supremacy isn't a problem. I think it is a problem. Uh, in fact, I think that we've had a number of shootings, the number of shootings um, in uh, uh, in synagogues and that are you know by by uh, those on the radical on the radical right, the anti-Semitic right, that's rising, and it's very dangerous. And uh, I, I think that, no, I think that, I think that that's, a, that's a thing. This actually, uh, this database stops at the end of 2016 or 17, um, uh, and so it doesn't reflect some of that new motion. I'm actually working, that's one of the things that I work on uh, so I'm actually, you know, I, I, one of my uh, one of the things that I'm doing is working on fighting anti-Semitism, um, and, this, and the ways in which this Gulf Coast, mo- this Gulf State money is actually driving up anti-Semitism on college campuses. And the prob- one of the problems that I see is that as the radical left gets more and more polarized on the issues of not just Israel, not just the current government you know, but the right to exist of Israel that you know that's a problem because uh, in my judgment that's a problem because if you say Israel doesn't have a right to exist, it's a genocidal thought, you know that's the reality is if you're going you know people who people who some of the people who are not regarded as who don't regard themselves as anti-Semites or say they're not anti-Semites who just want to push Israel into the sea, you know you just can't get there without you know, without mass slaughter. And I think that's part of the equation. So, your point is very well taken. I think that, uh, I, you know, I'm happy to send you, I'll give you a card, I'm happy to send you the paper when it's finished, um, because I do intend to. Those three numbers are key. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. And because these, uh, these figures, let me just go back to these. Because these figures are preliminary, the ones that oops <laughs> well that's preliminary. Uh, so because these figures are preliminary, this stuff is all vetted and then these overall figures are preliminary they're from my research assistants right So I'm going I still need to actually grind through each of those individual cases to make sure each of those things is correct before I am comfortable it's correct here. you don't know the sample size that's the problem. Uh, sample size. Yeah, 41% of five cases, which you presented, or 41% of 200 cases. Sure, uh, so stevis yes. is missing four, 24 cases out of 59, which is 40, 40% of the cases. In this one, 85. Of the Department of Justice's list of 580 individuals convicted of terrorism or terror-related charges between 9-11 and 2014, Tevis uh, contains only 89, 50% of the list. Uh, the 68 names that don't, don't have an ideological label, 64 have been convicted of crimes. And again, the, it's the total how many names don't have an ideological label as the key. 68. 68. And how it's in the total database? A thousand? How many? Uh, there are eleven. Eleven hundred Islamic events in the database. Give totally. or take. Right? Islamic, just Islamic. That name that number sticks in my head. I've actually got it in the paper, and so I could look okay, it up. You see you yeah, I do. I do. I do, I do. I do, I do, I do. And that's actually if you look carefully I've actually tried to do this so that it's four different percentages the missing uh, it's missing if you take a list of just the killings it's missing 41 percent of them if you take a list of just the convictions it's missing 85 if percent if of the names that are missing labels 95 percent 94 percent are Islamic and of the DOJ terror cases, 96 of them are missing ideologies. 96% are missing ideologies. So I'm looking at it from four different ways, but your point's still well taken. That's what I want. I want to be able to adjust the numbers and say, the numbers, uh, uh, the, numbers the way that they are, white supremacism is x percent. The numbers, once you adjust them, it's y percent. Yes, sir? This will be the last question. <laughs> uh, white
2: supremacist is a
3: relatively new term. Yes. I hardly heard it mentioned before 2000. I can safely say that it was not, not talked about. It. Mm-hmm. To what extent is white supremacism a reaction against an aggressive uh,
0: uh, Islam expansionist policies? Uh, I'd say partially. Um, I think that you can actually, so you can actually look in the in the um, manifestos of the individuals who have committed these horrible acts and find out a partial answer to that question. Partial answer is yes. Uh, I mean, it's not just that. There's, um, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's partially a reaction to perceived political correctness. It's partially a reaction to perceived uh, government policies that, you know, race-based policies. You know, some of these, uh, one of the shooters, uh, the shooter in Texas, the recent shooter in Texas who was labeled a white supremacist was actually an anti-corporate, uh, so he was a definitely a nationalist. Definitely a racist slime bag, but also um, a global warming fanatic. I mean, since he killed people, we can call him a fanatic. He was killing people in part because of corporate, you know, the fact that corporations were not, you know, subscribing to his views with with respect to the climate. So this stuff is kind of getting mixed up. And some of these guys are just crazy not the ones that i'm highlighting necessarily but some of these guys are just crazy your point on white supremacism more generally is is very well taken Um, and you know some of these people are linked to to actual nazism or neo-nazis and that's something that obviously has been around a long time as we all know um and some of these individuals are actually linked to movements that are associated with something much older like neo-nordic stuff right so they are actually they're blood and soil people, but they precede, uh, some of Nazism, as I understand it, was based on these um, uh, Nordic tribes' views of the way that blood and soil worked. And so they're basically harkening back to the time of the Vikings. Um, and so some of their references go back there. They're, they're pre-Christian, they're pagan, they're anti-Christian, uh, they're definitely anti-Jewish. They're very explicitly anti-Jewish, uh, anti-Semitic. Um, so, but some of it is a reaction and especially in places like that New Zealand shooter the New Zealand shooter who killed a bunch of people at a mosque which is disgusting um, he was definitely reacting to New Zealand's policies with respect to admitting lots of Islamic immigrants there's just no two ways about it and the idea that that's a controversial thought I don't think it should be a controversial thought I mean it, that's what's happening So, and, and um, I know that our time is short but um, there's a literature that's around what's called the uh, uh, ethno-linguistic fractionalization or religio-ethno-linguistic fractionalization which is otherwise characterized as diversity, right? Religio-ethno-linguistic fractionalization or ELF or RELF um, is something that's been studied since at least the 80s, I think back into the 70s and there's a a very well-established literature about it. The literature in the, this is an economics literature, and what they found, and what has been, I think, pretty consistently found, is that as that number goes up, as there is more electri- uh, uh, ethno-linguistic fractionalization, especially the religio, um, you get two things. You get a lower GDP, and you get more violence. Um, and that's, that's what has been associated with these things. So the U.S. is a great success story in how you build a system that allows people to express themselves politically and... You know, have very little of this sort of violence, but that um, the truth is that we weren't a very diverse country until you know much more recently. On, on an actual percentage basis, we weren't very diverse. Um, so, those who are trying to increase diversity should understand that there is there's another part of that, right? That statistically speaking, you are going to have people who react negatively to it, who are bad people and are gonna take people's lives on both sides, right? Both sides of those fractionalizations. So that's bad, but it's true. And so your point is well taken, and yes, basically, the theory is anywhere that you introduce different religions, different cultures, you're gonna get conflict, hopefully, it is mitigated by a good political system, like the one that we have, to make so that the conflict is sublimated into politics as opposed to expressing itself in violence, which is what we're trying to avoid, generally speaking. I always say, we're not always trying to avoid violence, because when violence is visited upon us, we want lots of violence visited upon those who who wreck it upon us, just for the record, right? Um, but But in a legal way. Sorry, what?
2: Except when we don't.
0: There is a strong case to be made that Saudis were intensely involved, and I wrote a, I wrote a study of those pages when they came out of the 9-11 stuff. It was, yeah, it's, yeah it's, a, it's a, yes, my understanding is that there was a phone call from Dick Cheney to somebody high up in Saudi Arabia within 24 hours that said, we're invading somewhere. You are about to decide whether it's going to be you or not. This is what we want from you. And they sold us out. No. Well, and what did they, yeah. They sold
2: them out at that moment when that phone call
0: and that decision was made. They sold us out on ever knowing the truth, on ever having accountability or justice for the murder of 3,000 people. There was, uh, in my, I, tend to, I tend to agree with <laughs> you. The truth is I tend to agree with you. The argument that Cheney would make if he was here is that what he extracted from them was a lot of cooperation um, over the course of the years since that has saved and American lives.
2: You have to on
0: that one? Maybe. I mean, maybe. Maybe, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean,
2: that's there. the line that they give us now. Yeah. Right. Right? And, to it's, and
0: that's what they believed. To uh, appease yeah. us. Yes. But
2: it's really <coughs> not the case, because they have not done a good enough job to protect us, So we wouldn't have
0: had San Bernardino, we wouldn't have had pulse. and we wouldn't have had that semester. so. That's for sure. Uh, that's And that's partially a separate question, because those weren't necessarily 100 percent Saudi-linked, although they were linked. Islamist
2: terrorism, and yes, and the radicalization came from some of their mosques, no doubt about that.
0: Yes, yes, that's true. So there is yes, about there, about are links, there are links. There are links to Islamic All mosques, but there's but there's, but there's links there's links beyond Saudi Arabia, though. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the Middle East. I think we can safely agree to that. No, yeah, but when
2: you said earlier that we could treat them as hostile nations and you talk about Saudi Arabia like
0: that, but nobody. That's a, yeah, that's a long and challenging conversation. <laughs> like, I tend to, I tend to agree with you. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not supposed to take one more, but I'm going to, because I like folks I've opened a very interesting new line of
1: inquiry here regarding Saudi Arabia, I've, I'm not familiar with what uh, Dick Cheney um, asked the Saudis to do on 9-11 or 9-12, but um, one of Osama bin Laden. Goals. He said nothing about the Israeli Palestinian conflict, for example. His number one goal was for the U.S. military to leave Saudi Arabia. That was what he wanted, and a couple of years later, we left. I don't think we do. We have a major military presence in Saudi Arabia now? We just increased. We just increased? Okay, well, I'm I'm pretty sure we withdrew some years later. Um, and, uh, And if you look at, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on whatever's going on
0: in uh, in Yemen uh, and the Iranian instant, mm-hmm. instance there. We, war there, yes.
1: Um, when, when the Iranians sent missiles against Saudi petrol facilities, mm-hmm. uh, we ne- nearly went to war with Iran, or it came came right to the verge um, from the president's tweets. And I'm not aware <laughs> what what the Saudis did to defend themselves. So there's a very complex relationship without getting into the Qatar or, or, um, uh, or the Madrasas around the world which are spreading hate against against us, against uh, you know, not only anti-Semitic, but uh, against us.
0: Uh, it's, a, it's a nasty world out there. It's a nasty world out there and we should protect ourselves. And just to, just to sum up, I'm glad to, to be at IWP, a place which is teaching people um, how to protect America and the West. So, Thank you very much for having me here. I really appreciate it. God bless you. Thanks, John. Thank you, Dr. Paul.
1: And ladies and gentlemen, I just wanted you to be aware. That in contrast with many institutions here in uh, Washington, the Institute of World Politics does not take either Chinese or military <laughs> money. <laughs> I, want you, I want to welcome you all back here in the future to our many events, and if uh, those of you, if you're not on our, um, uh, on our mailing list already, please let our staff know, and we'd be happy to send you invitations to future lectures. Thanks again, and have a good afternoon.